Live Creative Now, Episode 104. Welcome to Live Creative Now with Melissa Dinwiddie, a weekly podcast to inspire you to create your art and share your work. Because that's how you will change the world. Hello, hello, hello. I am Melissa Dinwiddie, passion pluralite artist, happiness catalyst, and creativity instigator, and author of The Creative Sandbox Way, here to address all your questions about living a full-color creative life. Whether you think of yourself as not artistic, not creative, which is a lie, or you think of yourself as an artist of any kind, writer, painter, musician, actor, whatever, anything in between, no matter how you define yourself, feeding your creative hungers makes you feel more alive. It's how you change your life, and it's how you change the world. Before we get started with today's episode, come join me tomorrow, Thursday, April 13th, for a free creativity workshop Born to Create, Why Your Creative Play is Essential, Not Self-Indulgent. I run these workshops every month or so, and if you have a hard time getting yourself to do the creative things that you would most love to be doing, this workshop is for you. You will learn the surprising truth about why you feel resistance to the thing you love to do. You will learn how to make every creative block your friend. I kid you not. And you will learn the unexpected science of how creative play affects the brain. Yes, we're talking neuroscience here. And you will never look at creative play in the same way again. The workshop is about 90 minutes. It's free. And if you stick around to the end, I have a very special gift for you. And yes, there will be a replay for a limited time, but the link to the replay will only go to people who register. So make sure you do that. And it's very easy. All you have to do is go to freecreativityworkshop.com. That's freecreativityworkshop.com. Go do that right now freecreativityworkshop.com. Super easy. Anyway, today I have another conversation for you from the archive of conversations that I had a couple of years ago that I never got around to releasing on the podcast because of our old friend, perfectionism. Yes. Oh my God. The good news is I am finally getting around to releasing all of those conversations. And this time the conversation is with a digital nomad named Ellen Bard. Yeah, I'm finally getting around to releasing all those conversations because I finally realized that the only reason, the only thing that was preventing me from releasing them was perfectionism. And I know how to deal with perfectionism. It's called imperfectionism. (laughs) Yay! Hallelujah for that. Anyway, Ellen DM'd me on Facebook a couple of years ago after I posted a note about my podcast, which wasn't even, I think this is before the podcast was even live. 
And I posted a note about it in some group that we are both in. And she asked if she might be a guest. And I thought her story sounded relevant and interesting. And I thought you might be interested in her story. So I invited her for a conversation. And of course, she didn't know at the time that it would take over a year and a half for that conversation to actually get published. So anyway, of course, better late than never. And her story is still so relevant. And you're probably wondering who she is. Well, she introduces herself right off the bat. So let's just get to it. Here is my conversation with Ellen Bard. If I were to meet you at a party or a conference, how would you introduce yourself? Yeah, so it amazes me um, how uh, in a short period of time that kind of thing can change so much. So uh, if you'd asked me three or four years ago, I would have been a management consultant uh, working in London. Um, now, um, I would say that I'm a digital nomad uh, based out of Chiang Mai in Thailand. And there are three uh, main things that I do. Um, the first is that I'm a freelance consultant um, and I um, am a chartered occupational psychologist, so a, a work psychologist uh, professionally. Um, and for that, I work across uh, Southeast Asia and the Middle East. Um, so last week I was in Egypt and the week before that in Saudi Arabia um, and so on. Then the second um, big thing, core thing that I do um, is I have a personal development website where I um, write about personal and professional development. I'm focusing particularly on, um, I guess, self-compassion and self-kindness, uh, self-care, these kind of things. And then the third thing that I do um, is I write. And obviously writing um, cuts across both of those first two. Um, but in the last um, couple of years, I've got into fiction writing as well as um, uh, more, I guess, um, non-fiction writing. And uh, hopefully this month I will have my first um, novel out, uh, which will be a paranormal romance, so urban fantasy Um and that will be the first in a series of seven. So those three activities are the things that really um, make up my my life and lifestyle right now. Wow, super cool. And <laughs> congratulations on a novel coming out. That's very exciting. Yes, yes, it's pretty, uh, it is pretty exciting. But oh, my Lord, the work. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you get into writing fiction? Um, well, it's a story that I'm sure you'll have heard before, which is um, NaNoWriMo, so National Novel Writing Month. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, three years ago, um, I left my, uh, I guess, career in London, um, which I've been doing for 10, 15 years, uh, for a break traveling. And um, uh, I, just, I just needed some time away. You know, London is a crazy city. I was working in quite a senior job. And I just worked all the time, you know, 12, 14 hour days every day. I was exhausted and I just wanted some space. So um, I resigned and I went traveling for a few months and someone gave me um, as I was leaving a copy of The Artist's Way. Um, and I said, oh, you know, I'm not a creative person. I, um, 
you know, this isn't my, this is just all hippie stuff. This isn't my cup of tea. Um, and uh, he was like, no, no, Ellen, I really think, you know, just try it. You know, you like personal development. You wouldn't be a psychologist otherwise. Just try it. I think, I think it's a good time for you to do it. He'd done it when he was in India traveling. And I said, oh, all right then. Um, so, you know, being very um, type A and very um, uh, driven and focused, I said, all right, fine. And I picked it up and I started doing it. And over the next, it probably took me three or four months. So it's a 12-week course. It probably took me, probably took me more like four months. Um, I worked my way through the exercises and just rediscovered a part of me that I, you know, hadn't been in touch with for a long time. Um and I've been doing morning pages since then, so for three three years. Um, and I took on the idea of the artist date, which is just a beautiful idea um, where you uh, fill your creative well each week. And doing the artist way um, then, I guess, um, made me kind of look around in a different way. And, and someone was talking about um, National Novel Writing Month, which is, um, I'm sure most of your listeners will know, um, but the, the month in November where people aim to write um, 50,000 words uh, or a complete novel in a month. Um, and literally a day, two days before, um, you know, I'd had this idea for a one-day book in my mind, maybe someday. Um, it's quite an ambitious concept. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I'll just do the first day and see if I can write whatever you need to write. I think it's 1,600 words. And I just was completely hooked within, well, the day probably. And by the end of the month, I'd written 100,000 words instead of 50,000 words. Wow. Um, gone through the first book and into the second book of what would be a trilogy. However, <laughs> it wasn't very good writing, um, but that's fine. It's completely and totally fine. Um, the, the book, that book project was much too, or is much too ambitious for where I was as a writer, which is nowhere. <laughs> so um, I was quite relaxed about that for me. And I said to myself, okay, so I've loved doing this and now I know I wanna experiment with fiction. Um, and by this time, um, I decided to stay in Thailand. I'd rearranged or I'd begun rearranging my lifestyle so that I could fund myself with some freelance work. I'd, I had the personal development blog going in parallel. Um, and so fiction was a kind of third, <laughs> a third stream. Um, and so I started looking around for ideas um, and thinking to myself, okay, so that's the book that I'd written or drafted already, that's not my the right first project for me. You know, what can I write now um, that would that would work? And I started listening to all the podcasts and, you know, inhaling information on writing because that's my um, style. I'm a, a massive reader and consumer of information. Um, and I came up with an idea and it was an idea for a, or it is an idea for a seven seven book series, <laughs> um, which I think you can already tell a lot about my personality <laughs> introduction. <laughs> it's not hard. Um, and I started writing. And, um, you know, the first draft of the book was easy-ish in that I had an idea. I knew what I wanted to write. I did an outline. But then the editing process, because I'm a bit perfectionist and I've had a developmental editor and um, now a copy editor has been much 
you know, much harder because I'm refining each time. I've learned so much about writing um, in the last year, uh, 14, 15, 16 months, something like that. And it's just, yeah, it's just been amazing. Wow. What I'm really fascinated by, Ellen, is that you you cranked out 100,000 words during NaNoWriMo month and you knew that it wasn't as good as you wanted it to be and yet you were okay with that is that and yet you call yourself a perfectionist so i'm i'm really interested in that because that's an area where i know for me and for so many people that i've worked with that feeling of oh this isn't very good so easily paralyzes people so what do you think it was that allowed you to keep going with it was it the fact that you that you enjoyed the process so much that you were able to tap into that or what was it um i think it's a few different things so one of them is it i don't feel like i've put that book away forever it's still there and i feel like i'll come back to it when i'm a better writer and it's a much more ambitious project so that would be much more dystopian feminist uh young adult um a little bit romance and it would have shades of margaret atwood in it whereas the um series that i'm writing now um is stuff that i like just as much i mean i i love romance i love paranormal um stuff i love urban fantasy but it's much more fun action romance sex and magic basically um (laughs) it doesn't have the same conceptual themes in it that i want to address in the other book so that was the first thing not feeling you know feeling comfortable that i can come back to it later um the second is um actually listening to all the podcasts and reading all the books um i really got a sense that what was really drummed home to me was this idea that, you know, people think, and I think I did, you become a writer, you start writing and then you're a writer. And, you know, you read these first book, amazing first books from people. um, And you think, wow, you know, that person was able to do that the first time. But for most people, just like for any skill um, or talent that you develop, um, writing needs practice, a lot of practice. Um, And listening to the people you know other writers out there was very helpful for me to hear them say look you know um i've written hundreds of thousands of words i have four books in a box um that aren't ready or or whatever it just it made me feel much more comfortable with the idea that i didn't have to get it right first time um and there was also a piece about seeing each each part of the journey each word that i'd written in in the a year since I'd been away as part of that journey. So, you know, I do morning pages every day. That's, um, you know, not, not, I wouldn't call that writing, writing, but nonetheless, it's putting words on paper. Um, and that's probably what, uh, 360 days in a year. And I probably miss one or two days a month. So that's probably 300,000 words a year right there. I write, um, a blog post every week and have been for, two years I have a travel blog as well as a personal development blog so that's probably another 150,000 words then the novels um, 
you know, the, the first one that I wrote was another 100,000. So I'm up to, what, 500, 600,000 words of practice um, right there. And that makes me feel good. I think, okay, every single one of those words, none of them is wasted. Everyone is helping me to understand how to write better. Um, so that was that was another piece. I mean, I think there is, I think there is an element of you know it's easier in a way to rest it and put it away than it is to finish it. Like this second book that I'm doing now, the, the book of this series, is much harder. You know, I found myself. Um, so I just got the co- the final copy edits back last week, for example, and it's taken me a week to pick up the book and start looking at those edits because just psychologically it's getting closer and closer to getting it out into the public domain which I'm excited about and that's the whole point of writing it but it's also terrifying so I think the perfectionist paralysis comes in in a slightly different way um, depending on what you're actually doing with the work does that make sense it makes total sense and one of the things that I really resonate with is your story of when you when you got started writing, doing a ton of reading and a ton of podcast listening. And, you know, it makes me think about how one of the things that's been so important for me, and I know for people that I work with as well, is having role models. Because mm. if all you see is the finished product of what mm. your heroes have produced, you don't know that they spent years and many, many hundreds of thousands of words mm-hmm. and that they have those four books in boxes that they're you know, going to burn someday or whatever. Mm-hmm. All you see is this finished product. And I know I, I spent a summer thinking that I was going to be a writer, that I had decided I'm going to be a writer. And I was so paralyzed by perfectionism because I had this false belief that writers are essentially born not made and i felt Mm. like everything that i did was utter crap and so okay i guess i'm not a writer when of course that's not how it works how it works is you write and you write a bunch of crap and it eventually gets better and as i like to say we need the crap to fertilize the good stuff that's where the good Mm. stuff comes Mm. from but unless you have I don't know, some example of that, it's, it can be hard for some of us to, you know, to really grasp that and, and not let that perfectionist paralysis stop us. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I, I would very much agree with that. And I think getting that context and listening listening to other people and hearing them talk about it and community so the namo rimo community for me um i did the online writing races with the thailand group um and that that was the thing really that was really instrumental for me because um it gave me some discipline but it also gave me other people saying oh you know i couldn't write a word today or whatever um and i actually made a very good friend there who i now still two three years later write with online probably once every two weeks so we have a, an hour where we schedule it in and we write together um so that community and context i think is critical 
Absolutely. So incredibly powerful. That's, that's a component that I include in a lot of my programs, including at the time of this, I don't know when the interview is going to be published, but at the time that we're recording this, my great clutter bus program is about to start in a couple of weeks. And that element is so critical, whether you are wanting to write a book or create a, a body of, of, you know, paintings or clutter bust your studio or your garage or something, having a community of people who get you and who are walking the road right next to you is so phenomenally powerful. And having that accountability as well, that mm. like that just lights a fire under me <laughs> knowing that, you know, I said I was going to get X done and I'm going to have to report back to all these people if I didn't get it done. And I really want that gold star of being able to mm. say I did it. So those those things have been hugely important for me as well. Mm. Yeah. And I think the better you, I mean, here's the psychologist part of me speaking, the more you can understand yourself and what demotivates or motivates you, what drives you or disengages you, um, the more you can use that knowledge and information to set up your lifestyle, your work, your structure, whatever it is, to facilitate better creativity. So for me, I'm the same as you, accountability really helps. So I set up an accountability group where I have um, eight or nine uh, people who are doing similar things to me and we check in once a week. And for me, that's very motivating, like knowing that on a Sunday I'm going to have to post up what I did means that I'm often more productive in a weekend than I would ever have been (laughs) before the group. Um, So the better you understand yourself, um, the the better and more effective you can be. Absolutely. That is why my golden formula is self-awareness plus self-compassion equals the Mm, key to everything good. Because first we need that (laughs) self-knowledge, right, of what what our particular challenges and obstacles are not so that we can say, Oh, well, you know, I've got this particular challenge in my life. So too bad for me, I can't accomplish this thing. But instead, say I've got this particular challenge. So that means I need to structure my life in order to accommodate that challenge and push past it. And then that self compassion piece, which you mentioned, early on as part of your self-development blog. That's been huge for me. I'd love to hear your stories of how, how that became a big piece in your life. Yeah. So self, so I guess in psychology, there's a kind of running joke when you become a psychology undergraduate that everybody studies psychology just because they want to understand themselves better, that every psychologist is um, very self-focused at the start. Um, and I think there's definitely an element of that, you know, whatever issues you're challenged by you're going to be drawn to um and so um when I started the blog um I wrote about various management issues but I soon kind of realized that the core areas that I enjoyed writing about and that were really resonating with my audience were some of the challenges that I'd struggled with myself so um I have a couple of health issues going on I have um 
a chronic pain condition from a car accident about 10, 11 years ago, which gives me uh, pretty much constant pain in my right-hand side and have uh, Crohn's disease, which is an immune system um, and um, stomach uh, issue basically and you know they're um they're not acute like i'm not hospitalized there's no there's nothing like that but they're grumbling conditions that need managing um and as you've seen from my introduction i'm not very i'm not a natural um relaxing hanging out <laughs> not doing anything you know type of person and one of the reasons for coming to thailand or for traveling was to give myself the time to just chill and to, you know, lie on a beach with a coconut or whatever. Um, and, you know, that's not how it works. I came and I discovered a whole new lifestyle and new exciting projects I was really um, engaged and driven by and I kind of threw myself into those. And so the self-care and the self-compassion has grown out of, um, you know, re- realising throughout my life particularly that I need to um, invest time in that and that it's not a um, an add-on or a to-do list thing it's just something that needs to be included in a gentle day-to-day way and I was able to then um, share a lot of those learnings and I guess for me I'm lucky to have both the experiences so having done it myself but also then the um uh, professional training to kind of support uh, the looking at the research and understanding the um, uh, you know what's going on out in the field and to combine those into some hopefully very useful um, suggestions and, and tips and advice for readers. Mm, very cool. You mentioned, I think it was in an uh, interview that you had with somebody else that you had an experience with hypnotherapy that Mm. really opened things up for you, particularly creatively. And I'm really curious, can you share that story? Yeah, that's, that's quite um, an interesting piece. So, so as part of my um, pain management in the back in the UK, this is, um, I tried all kinds, every kind of, Uh, therapy mainstream and alternative that you can imagine you know when you have a um, a physical condition or a problem like that you will just you know spread your wings and try anything so um, I went through lots of different people and eventually I ended up um, with this amazing woman um, professor a professor um, of so I think she was a professor of psychiatry but she was also a Jungian analyst and a hypnotherapist and she did hypnotherapy for pain and she was just she is just an incredibly smart woman Um, but she was in her 60s or 70s and she was only taking patients you had to be interviewed to see if she thought you were interesting enough to be a patient so if if you were her type of person Um, so luckily for me she she and I um, resonated very much um, and she's definitely become a bit of a personal hero now and she introduced me in a very pragmatic blend of um, science and um, some of the more, um, for me personally, left field uh, elements of hypnosis and Jungian analysis uh, to hypnosis and to self hypnosis in particular. So 
I would go for a session with her of hypnosis where she led it. And then she taught me a lot of techniques to do um, self-hypnosis on my own. Um, and it was just a really fascinating process because at first, the first session particularly, I just sat there like rigid, <laughs> not relaxed at all. Um, and she, you know, in um, hypnosis, the piece around, you know, finding a safe place, a relaxing place where you start out is is common. Um, and so we started there and she talked about a garden, blah, blah, blah. Um, and at the end of it, she said, you know, tell me your experience. And I said, well, you know, I didn't really feel anything. And she said, you know, what was it? Tell me what was it? And I said, well, in the garden. She said, yes. Uh, and I said, the garden's supposed to be the safe place. And she said, yes. And I said, but what about the spiders in the garden? <laughs> <laughs> and she did that and laughed at me. And I said, I just, you know, I don't like gardens. They're not there's insects in gardens and I don't like insects and blah, blah, blah. And I'm very pragmatic and grounded. And, you know, I think about all of the possibilities too much overthinking. <laughs> and she but she is so smart that she said, all right, okay. And we talked at the beginning. She said, you like um, science fiction and fantasy, don't you? And I said, yes. And she said, okay. So next time, <laughs> your safe place is on a completely different parallel universe where there's no insects. <laughs> she said, in, in the um, safe place, which is in this parallel universe, it's a completely different landscape and world. You can create whatever you want it to be. Um, and just by that tiny, subtle shift, um, she completely changed my ability to be able to engage with the, with the work. Um, and from then on, um, we kind of explored, um, I don't know, I guess this, the subconscious, um, each week. And what was really interesting to me is that she would, um, so she would talk through the thing and the, the, um, the hypnosis and she would say something like, um, I don't know. So you're, there's a beautiful stream and, you know, you're going to, uh, wash away, I don't know, not wash away your troubles, but that, you know, there are particular images that she would put into the hypnosis to help with different things. But then in addition to that, stuff would come into the hypnosis from my brain. Um, and some very odd and surprising things, um, like a, um, a cat came. There's a cat who, who lives in, <laughs> in this place. Um, with a name and and you know for her the cat represented certain things and I don't know whether that's true or not but it was certainly a useful thing to talk about and I can talk to the cat and presumably it represents a part of me that I'm not necessarily accessing you know normally um, and what's been really amazing for me is that in the so this novel that I'm writing this some um, fiction series I've been able to use some of um, the stuff that's come from the hypnotherapy, so ideas or even just the concept um, in in the the novels, they have this dreamscape, which is which is essentially a way of them accessing um, you know another plane. This is all the magic stuff, another plane, and and it uses a lot of the hypnosis stuff that I've um, done um, with the professor. So just so interesting for me how all of our different experiences 
um, nothing is wasted. So, you know, if I look at my life uh, and all of the interesting things that I've been lucky enough to do, all of them still have um, a bearing on where I am today and I can draw from them creatively. Mm. I love that. I, I have done some hypnotherapy as well and, and worked with a therapist who it wasn't really hypnotherapy, but she basically led me into trance. And I remember, I can remember very vividly some of the, the scenarios that, you know, these, these very clear dreamlike images and the, and the creatures that I met and, and that was a time in my life before I thought of myself as a creative person. And, and just hearing your story right now made me realize how those moments kind of opened up in a way, a sense of myself as a creative person. Although I, I don't know how much I would have articulated it at the time. Mm -hmm. But is that, did you experience that for yourself? Yeah, and it was very much a slow process. I mean, I saw her for for a long time. In fact, I still have tea or coffee with her when I go back. But um, at first, I would call myself very, very highly strong is probably what I would say, very <laughs> uptight um, and quite skeptical as well. Um, you know, I'd been to a lot of different people. Um, I'd met some people who I just thought were charlatans. Um, she came with, you know, amazing credentials and she was obviously very smart um, just right from the start. And that actually helped me. So again, this is about knowing where you're at. I couldn't have done hypnotherapy with someone who didn't meet me halfway. Yeah. Um, so, so who brought the science element, who was articulate and able to say, well, this is why we're doing this. And if you don't like this bit, we can skip it. Or, and if you don't agree with this bit, she also pushed me and said, you know, just, you do try it and see what happens. Um, and so, yeah, she, she definitely helped me to blossom a little bit or to unfurl a little bit, but it's only really when I came away, not necessarily from the UK, but just when I came away from just working all the time, you know, from not really having any space in my life to even think about the concept of creativity. And I certainly wouldn't have called myself creative at that point at all. Um, and even now I would probably call myself a pragmatic creative person, but I would also say that everybody is creative. And I think people don't really understand how, what creativity is. Um, for me, that's one of the biggest, the biggest challenges for people that people put themselves in this box. They say, well, this is creativity in this box over here. And that might be singing or music or art or, um, you know, sculpture this is what creativity means but then a person in business they might not think of themselves as creative at all whereas I think that every act pretty much can be creative whether it is um you know making your living room beautiful to creating an argument that's going to sway your boss into um running a project in the way that you want versus creating the most awesome PowerPoint presentation to explain the quarter's sales figures. Those are all creative acts, whether or not we acknowledge them. 
I don't know what you think about that. Oh, I could not agree more. I, I personally believe so strongly that, that creativity is what humans do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't think you can be a human being and not be creative, creative expression well, I did an interview with uh, a, a Renaissance guy named Chris mm-hmm. Wesley, and I love his definition of artist. He calls an artist a person who creates to express. And there are many ways of being creative that aren't necessarily in, you know, specifically for expression. Mm-hmm. The people that I work with are that kind of artist. They want to, whether they call themselves an artist or think of themselves explicitly as non-artists, they have a hunger to create, to express. Mm. And as far as I'm concerned, I agree with with Chris's definition. That makes you an artist, whether you want to claim the title or not. Mm. Mm. And, yeah, we, and I think, I think we all we all have some relationship to that as human beings. And I think that many, many people are shut down very, very early on around that, you know, four years old, five years old, six years old. Yeah. And the rest of us, most, most of the rest of us are shut down in adolescence (laughs) around that if we weren't shut down earlier. And my job, my goal is to connect people back to that native creativity and connection with creative expression that we all had when we were two and three and four. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think part of it is because, you know, at school, um, art and creativity is, is one bucket, right? You've got maths, you've got English, you've got art, you've got science, whatever. And so rather than it being a core um, almost a competency, a behavior that goes through everything else. It's, it's considered, you know, well, here's, it's in this bucket. And hey, I didn't take this particular subject after age 13. And so I didn't, I'm not it. Exactly. Like, that's, that's not who I am. Um, so yeah, no, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Plus the shaming that happens. I mean, I, yes. I, I think something <laughs> Brene Brown talked about in a course she did on, uh, she gave a series of lectures that were packaged as a course on Udemy that I watched. And I'm not, I can't claim that my memory of the numbers is precise, but I think she said, I think 80% of people remember an experience of being shamed in childhood and half of them were shamed around a creative act. Mm, Yeah, I can well believe that. Uh, My mom um, still talks about, being shamed by an art teacher in her teens. Yeah. Um, My mom as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, (laughs) which is a terrible thing, a terrible thing. Um, And and we treat it in this kind of put it in a box way. Um, And so then we decide it's this one thing and we're not that thing and we lose it as part of our identity, even though it's there if if we want to reclaim it. Yeah, I mean, that's the beautiful thing is that it it is there. It it doesn't actually go away. It just gets obstacles placed in between it and us, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it never goes away. Well, I wanted to ask you about your, 
your creative practice? How, how do you integrate your, how does it work with your life? Like you're, <laughs> you've got these three kind of streams happening. How does everything fit together? Do you have a regular practice? Do you have rituals associated with it? How, how does it all work? Yeah, so I'm not going to lie, it's still um, a bit of a work in progress, even after several years, but there are some core practices um, that really help. And then there's things that I do at different times. So for example, I have quite a well defined morning routine. Um, So when I wake up, I don't turn any of my Wi Fi on. So all of my Wi Fi, I turn off at night before I go to bed. Uh, on the computer and on the phone Um, and when I get up I um, eat something or I have a protein shake whatever I'm uh, eating that day Uh, shower blah 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 and then I sit down at the computer and I do morning pages and that is the first um, you know act outside of washing and dressing that I do Um, that usually takes so I do it on the computer because of the um, chronic pain issue and I also find it's easier for the words to flow out of me if I'm typing because I don't I can touch type so I don't think about the medium I just write so Mm -hmm. I do a thousand words Um, and then uh, I have a couple of other bits and pieces that I fill in so I track uh, health stats for example so I write those down I write what I ate the day before uh, the pills I took pain levels um, interesting events stuff like that Um, and then uh, there's a couple of other bits and pieces that I do again before I turn email on then I have a short period where I try and make it a short period where I just work through what came in the night before um I use I have inbox zero most of the time so I have a method for you know dealing with the emails and um deciding what needs to be done today and what is filed to do later on in the week um I also have a um a plan for the day which I will have written out the night before and that's based around whatever's in my diary for that day plus um, my accountability goals. So again, I mean, I'm very structured. Um, I know this isn't for everybody, um, but each week I set, this is these are the key goals that I want to achieve this week. So that might be writing, but let's have a look and see what it is this week. So this week it includes uh, revising my book in terms of the copy edits, um, writing a guest post, Um, writing a certain number of words of fiction, um, uh, things like this interview, and then some other stuff from my blog. I've done three days of consulting work this week from home, um, and then some other bits and pieces. I won't give you the whole list, but you get the idea. And so that week's accountability list gives me the tools to decide in a day, you know, what can I do? Um, Now, I'm not great at putting in place a realistic plan. I usually over schedule. <laughs> so that's am, this is the laughter. This is the laughter of recognition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's a real challenge for me. I, um, but I kind of think, well, I'd rather over set and get amazing stuff done than under set and then not know what to do like I'm better if I think okay do just do the next thing just do the next thing um 
and then it depends where I am in the world. So, so right now I'm talking to you from Thailand. Um, here I go to a lot of cafes and co-working spaces. So, um, but I have a lot of flexibility. So I might, this morning I'm going for coffee with someone, um, uh, that I just met. Um, and then I'll go to a co-working space for most of the day to, um, to really work through the copy edits of the book, which I really need to sit down and do. Um, and I try to be disciplined about the internet. So I try to turn it off as much as possible. I'm very bad at it. And one of the challenges of being away from home a lot is that a lot of my friends, I connect to them through social media, which as we know is a complete time suck. Um, <laughs> so that's something I'm still working on. Um, if I'm um, doing consulting work abroad, so if I think about Egypt or Saudi in the last couple of weeks, um, the morning ritual stays very similar. So I will get up early enough to do morning pages and the other bits in that morning routine. Um, but then I try and fit in some creative work in the evening. Um, and it's harder when I'm on the road because, um, you know, I'm traveling and, um, yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, I just, I just did a blog post today on my travel blog and I counted that I've taken, uh, 86 individual flights this year. So wow. 86 airplanes. Yeah. So that is a lot of, um, <laughs> that is a lot of planes. Um, and so one of the things that I've had to get better at, uh, which I think I, I'm doing all right at now, is is thinking about how I use different types of time. Um, so if I'm in an aeroplane, what can I do? You know, I can, I can read my book and that's always a pleasure. I can make uh, notes on, I don't know, book reviews that I'm writing. Um, I can jot down ideas for guest posts or posts for my blog, et cetera, et cetera. And so always knowing what I can do with a piece of time online, offline, wherever I am physically has been massively helpful in being creative because for me, being productive, so productivity and creativity are very tightly entwined. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just as you said before, if you're not producing stuff, then, you know, none of it's going to be any good. If you produce nothing, doesn't, there's no perfection because there's nothing. Um, so for me, trying to be productive and use my time effectively has been just a really big uh, mind shift I guess um, uh, but also tool in my armory to be someone who people seem to think gets a lot done um, so I would definitely for example I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to those podcasts while I'm cooking or while I'm traveling or while I'm in the shower whatever and, and that enables me to use that time in a doubly effective way no, I don't always because sometimes you just need to not do anything and that's also important, don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, I hear people say I don't have time, but if I look at how I spent my time when I was in England, I could have been, I could have done things differently if I just thought about the time in different ways. Um, I don't have a television. I think that um, is a big, a big thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I watch episodes of telly you know it's not that I don't ever watch anything but I watch like one episode every few days that I've downloaded or uh, that's on a, a DVD and that is also 
conscious use of time. I think that's the main thing. So, so, so not just sitting down and, you know, flicking stuff on and seeing what happens and 10 hours go by, but deciding, okay, I'm now going to watch an episode of, um, you know, Firefly or whatever it is. And, and that's all. And then I'm going to do something else. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question there. That was a bit of a rambling. No, that was fantastic. Yeah. I'm always fascinated to hear other people's rituals, particularly morning routines. I have one as well. And Mm. the more, it's so funny because I used to feel like so allergic to schedules and routine and avoided it for so much of my life, wanting to be, you know, free to do whatever Mm. I want, whenever Mm. I want. And the past several years, I've become more and more routinized and ritualized. And I'm, it's really helping me thrive. It's, I'm still kind of surprised and delighted, (laughs) even though I've been doing it for a number of years now, that my, my, in fact, I just extended my morning routine. I just added a, a, a workout to it. And I'm just mm. tickled pink that I'm getting exercise every day. Not I have a, a treadmill desk, so I write while I'm oh, walking fantastic. quite a lot. Yeah, oh. which has been so great. And it's helped my back so much. I have chronic back issues. And that's mm. helped dramatically. But I wasn't getting any cardio or, you know, anything like that. So, so. Um, I'm just delighted that I've managed mm. to incorporate that into my morning routine. <laughs> it's yeah. got me yeah. so tickled. So yeah, I'm a big believer in that. But you know, as you say, it's it's finding the structure that works for you and figuring out what figuring out what you need, what your challenges are, and how you can set your life up to best support yourself where you need support and to to ease you into flow where you just need freedom to flow. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's surprising how much making certain things habitual um, and something that you don't have to think about does free you up in other ways. Yes. You know? um, and I think people think, oh, if I make it into a schedule, it'll become boring. Uh, but morning pages is never um, boring for me. Sometimes it's frustrating and hard, but it's never boring. It's yeah. always always interesting to do. Um, and like you, I also try and do some exercise as part of my morning routine, but that very much varies on where I am and and what I'm doing. But again, I mean, I'm not a very fit and healthy person, but I try and it is amazing how much better you feel when your body is being looked after as well as your mind. You know, they're, they're so tightly intertwined, but if you're creative, sometimes you think all about, it's all about your mind and your creativity, but actually nurturing your body, and this is where I guess the self-care comes in, is just as important for creativity as nurturing your mind. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> if we're if you're just a brain, you're not going to get a whole, <laughs> a whole lot done. You've got to take care of that, that thing that carts your brain around. <laughs> mm. Well, and it also gives you... Um, sensations and experiences you know so writing uh the fiction one of the things you're you're always trying to do is show and not tell and so actually that's meant that I've had to get in touch with my own emotions and sensations in my body in a different way because I have to think about okay so my character's feeling I don't know um fear 
what does fear feel like? Mm. You know, because you don't want to just say she felt fear. She was she was afraid because that's not very good writing. So it's about thinking, okay, well, her f- flesh prickled and, you know, a wind, she felt like there was cold air on the back of her neck or whatever it is. Um, and just being more in my body has helped my writing. Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, I have to ask you something. This is sort of off off our topic, but I was very intrigued when I, I read elsewhere that, first of all, about your your travel and and how that has helped you to understand what is consistent about the human experience, no matter mm-hmm. where you go. And you mentioned the example of a smile. And I was wondering if you could share your story about the power of a smile. um yeah so um as part of my morning routine when I'm in Thailand I go um to uh like a Thai stadium so um it's like a local stadium and it's amazing you know it's a a place a very much a community place it's open from you know dusk till uh, dawn sorry till um kind of nine o'clock at night um, and it's pretty busy in the evenings and the mornings because in the day it's 30, 40 degrees and very, very hot. Um, so it's cooler early on. So in the morning I go and I, you know, I, I would say I kind of jog, walk, getting to a run round. Um, and I've been doing that for irregularly for the last, I don't know, 18 months, two years maybe. And I used to see it. So Thailand is a very clean and tidy country, particularly in the um, uh, Chiang Mai. And there are um, sweepers. Um, so, so I guess outside cleaners, you might call them in the stadium. Um, and they have like a particular area of ground because a lot of leaves fall down. It's more about the leaves than it is about litter, but they pick up litter as well. And every morning I would see this guy um, who always looked really grumpy, um, an older Thai guy. And I have um, a tiny bit of Thai. I've done a, a course um, and I can say hello and how are you and a number of other limited phrases. I can order an iced coffee, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and I would see this guy every day and he just, he looked like he hated me. Um, and I was a bit, I, I, you know, every time I would run around and, um, and I, 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 I sort of smiled at him, but not a true smile, like a kind of probably more of a grimace <laughs> as I went round. And then one day I thought to myself, come on, Ellen, you can, you can do better than this. Like he knows, he knows you're not a crazy person. He's or maybe he thinks you're a crazy person for running around, but he, he sees me every day. Um, and I thought, okay, I'm going to smile at him and I'm going to properly smile from, the heart like from inside out um and i'm gonna say hello in thai which was my um big introvert moment uh, to this guy <laughs> anyway so um the next time i went in and i parked and and sometimes i thought he might be angry as me as well because i would park in his area uh, on my little scooter because in thailand you just park on the pavement um very different from uh, america or the uk so um, anyway, I park my bike and I go off and I see him sweeping and I kind of jog up to him and I give him a greeting in Thai, um, which involves a Y as well, which is where you put your hands together and you bow very slightly. And I smiled at him 
as much from the inside as I could. And he, he first of all looked like, who is this woman? And looked completely shocked. And then he absolutely beamed at me and smiled back and greeted me. And from now, from then on, every day we have this little interchange. And neither of us can speak the other person's <laughs> language. And occasionally he'll say something to me in Thai, like I was away for um, a month uh, or two over the summer in England and I just came back and he, I think he probably said oh where have you been in Thai but you know I don't know and that <laughs> I answer in English and he has no idea um, and just that human connection um, was just such a lesson to me to say you know Ellen you, all it takes is a smile um, and, to, and, and a genuine smile, you know, not the kind of anxious grimace that I was probably baring my teeth at him before as I tried to go round, but to genuinely say or to express, I, I'm a human being, you're a human being, I want to connect with you, I'm grateful for you sweeping every day because this area is lovely, and then, and then move on, you know, no more than that. It's not like I wanted him to be my new new friend or a chatting friend so yeah so it was just it was um very powerful and every time I see him which is you know every couple of days at the stadium it just reminds me of the power of a smile wow what a great story <laughs> that is so cool I'm sitting here beaming because I'm picturing the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so if you do one thing today, people listening, it is smile at people because what's the worst that they can do? Ignore you. I mean, that is, you know, no one's going to attack you for smiling at them. So smile. And sometimes the smiles that people give back are just so beautiful. You can really make someone stay. Um, so I try and smile more day to day um, and not get so wrapped up in my own uh, issues and feelings and thoughts that I can't connect with other human beings as I go about my day. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Well, tell, tell everybody listening where we can find you. Um, fantastic. So if you're interested in my fiction, um, then you can find me at um, Ellen Bard, E-L-L-E-N, B-A-R-D author.com, Ellen Bard author.com. And if you're interested in my um, uh, personal development, um, self-care, self-compassion, productivity, all that kind of stuff, then I'm just at Ellen Bard.com. Um, and yeah, either of those places. And I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Ellen Bard. I'm pretty easy to find and I'm in plenty of places. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, it's been a real treat to get to talk to you and hear a little bit about your story. Thank you so much for coming on the show. No worries, Melissa. And thank you very much for asking me. It's been a pleasure. It's time for something cool. Today's something cool is a book. It's called A Strange Companion by Lisa Manterfield. It's a novel. I read a lot of novels. And <laughs> this novel is actually by a friend. <laughs> it's sort of funny because when a friend writes a novel, it is always a cause of huge anxiety for me because then I know I will be expected to read that novel. And really, a lot more people think they're good writers than actually are. 
good writers. So when my friend Lisa told me she was finally publishing her novel, on the one hand, I was really thrilled for her. And on the other hand, I broke out in hives because now I was going to have to read her book and then either tell her what I really thought of it or lie (laughs) to not make her feel bad, right? Or avoid her, (laughs) none of which seemed like good options. But as it happens, I needn't have worried because as it turns out, Lisa is a brilliant writer and her first published novel is stunning. This is how I started my Amazon review. I wrote, many authors can write page turners. Many can uh, make me laugh or cry. Fewer can weave prose that makes my heart sing. Fewer still can craft a story so layered and nuanced that it taps me right to the core and leaves me buzzing. In A Strange Companion, Lisa Manterfield has managed to do all of the above. That is why A Strange Companion is this week's Something Cool. This book is so good that I want everyone to know about it. Go buy it. Go get it out of the library if you can find it there. Read it. Make sure to keep a box of tissues handy because it will make you cry. It will also make you laugh. Share it with your friends if you also enjoy it. This is a book that will stick with you. If you have been through a loss or if you are going through a loss right now, or if you know someone who's going through a loss, it may help you or them navigate it. It is about a 19-year-old girl who has lost two people who are who were very dear to her, first her father five years ago, and then her boyfriend two years ago in a climbing accident. But the book is utterly, utterly delightful. And Lisa is an extremely skilled writer with words. Her prose is glorious. She writes in metaphors and beautiful poetic prose. And her writing is so nuanced and layered. Well, I I wrote that in my Amazon review. (laughs) Anyway, I have a link to my Amazon review in the show notes. So you can read that. Um, Again, if you've ever been through a loss and who hasn't, we're human beings. We, if you've ever loved anything, you've, you've experienced loss. The book will tug at your heart, heartstrings. It will expand your soul. It's funny. It's rich. It's deep. Uh, I was really, really impressed. I absolutely loved it. Highly, highly recommended. And that is why it is this week's something cool. That is it for today. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you are getting value out of this podcast, as always, tell a friend, tell a friend about it and hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. If you could use some instructions on how to do that, just go over to livecreativenow.com slash iTunes dash review. Reviews are how other people find the show. They are so incredibly important because when people are searching around for new podcasts, the podcasts that have lots of reviews will pop up higher in the search results. So your rating and review really make a huge difference on helping other people find the show. So yeah, makes a huge difference. I'd be super, super grateful. And again, if you need 
help on how to leave a review, just go to livecreativenow.com slash iTunes dash review would totally make my day. And I might actually read your review on a future episode. Here is what Linda Bannon wrote in her review. Linda left a five-star review. Thank you, Linda. She says, Melissa speaks, creatives listen. She says, seriously, if you haven't yet, you must listen to Melissa's podcast. In fact, you should subscribe so you don't miss one valuable word of Melissa's freely shared wisdom. Listening to Melissa sparks ideas and calms fears because she's so open, honest, inspiring, and generous. Listening to Melissa is like spending time with a kind, loving, and wise, dear creative friend. I'm jazzed every time I get the message that she's recorded a new podcast because I get to spend more time listening to Melissa's creative experience, knowing I'll soon be incorporating what I learn into my creative life. Thank you, Linda. I so appreciate that. You too could leave a review and I would be so profoundly grateful. And again, it would help other people find the show. And again, (laughs) if you need help uh, with step-by-step instructions on how to do that, just go to livecreativenow.com slash iTunes hyphen review. That's it. Until next time, thanks again for joining me and go get creating. Subscribe at livecreativenow.com.